Hey, welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist. We are in a new series called the Essentially Better Life series, and this is the second episode on mindfulness and grounding that we're going to talk about today. And today I am sharing the conversation I had with Dr. Ellis Edmonds. I do want you to make sure that you have a chance to go listen to the introduction to this season. There's lots of information there, and I give you kind of an overview of what we're going to be talking about and doing in this series. So if you've already had a chance to listen to the intro, you know that I am incorporating essential oils into the mix this season. This week, we're talking about mindfulness and grounding the whole week. So I've done a short bonus episode on two oil blends that can really help with your mindfulness practice. The blends I talked about this week are called Present Time and Grounding. I have a link to the bonus episode in the show notes, and it's also on my website, so you can go check it out there. Okay, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Dr. Ellis Edmonds was born and raised in Oakland, California, and he has a passion for that community. Ellis received his doctorate of psychology, his PsyD, from the California School of Professional Psychology in 2013, and that's where he wrote his dissertation on teaching mindfulness to socially anxious young adults. He has worked in community mental health, college counseling, and he's also worked in many different Bay Area schools, helping people with a variety of backgrounds improve their mental health and live more fulfilling lives. He's also the creator of The Mindful Bus and Drop the Rope, which are two amazing mindfulness-based games. So for you therapists out there, you need to check them out. And he also facilitates groups and workshops, teaching mindfulness to not just kiddos, but adults. Since starting his private practice, he has had the honor of supporting hundreds of people in the Bay Area to live with more peace, purpose, and presence. Dr. Edmonds was a joy to talk with. I love that he shares practical tips for all of us to start using right away. They're such great insights, so let's listen in. My name is Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Leaving my career as a therapist, business owner, and counselor educator was a big risk. But now, as an author, coach, entrepreneur, and podcast host, I am fulfilling my passion to help people move forward toward an essentially better life. Each episode is filled with stories, information, and ideas that I know will be valuable to your life and to the lives you touch. So if you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I know that this is a place that you will feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Ellis, thank you so much for being with us today and uh, being on my show. I really appreciate you taking your time. Yeah, it's fun to be here. Fun to meet you. I've read some of the stuff you have out there and it looks mm. like people are going to want to find you and uh, learn more. So I'm excited to hear what, mm-hmm. what you have to say. Be- we're going to talk about mindfulness and grounding today. That's yes. what we're talking about this week. So mm. I 
I'm excited about hearing all of the things that you have to say. You have a lot of expertise and experience in this area. Uh, But before we do that, I'd love for you just to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you live, your family, all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I'm living in the Bay Area, California right now, originally from Oakland, grew up here and still live in Oakland right Uh now. Um, So I have a lot of family here and enjoy seeing them, spending time with them, friends, um, a great community here mm-hmm. of therapists and healers that I'm a part of. Um, really love to do that. Uh, went to school at Berkeley, actually, so I didn't go very far. And uh-huh. San Francisco for graduate school. So kind of been um, in the Bay Area most of my life and just really love it here. And uh, started my practice um, about six years ago, private practice uh, in Oakland. So um, just really love serving the community. There's a lot of um, really interesting people. Uh, very intelligent people uh, here that um, also need mindfulness and yes. uh, therapy. So um, a joy to kind of serve the community that I grew up in. That's great. You, so you stayed kind of around the Berkeley area. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go very far for college. Didn't go very far for graduate school. <laughs> um, stayed in the Bay area most of my life. And, I love uh, the Bay area. I think it's just fun to be there. Uh, I have, we have relatives down there too, and I Mm. love going down there and visiting and well, tell me why did you become a counselor? Why did you become a therapist? What was the, Mm. the why behind that? Mm. Well, that's a a good question. A big question. Um, I, you know, trace it all. If I wanted to psychoanalyze myself, I could (laughs) trace it all the way back to, you know, my parents' divorce. I think sure. what what really kind of set it off to me was like um, having a lot of anxiety myself mm. um, as a teenager, especially. That's what kind of really started getting the um, the ball rolling mm-hmm. on my therapy and mindfulness journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was very hard on myself um, in high school as a teenager. Had a lot of anxiety, a lot of kind of like physical cramps and issues and. Mm-hmm. Um, sleeping problems and just like this really big inner critic. Um, and I didn't really kind of realize that at the time um, when I was a teenager mm-hmm. uh, that this was going on for me. Um, and it wasn't until college when I actually started um, a meditation practice that I sort of realized how much anxiety I was carrying around mm-hmm. all day, every day with me. Um, and so kind of having that realization and um, also being able to get a little bit of space and relief from it. Um, drove me toward psychology, toward mindfulness practices, um, and wanting to kind of help other people along their path because I could see my classmates and my friends and other people in my life who were just kind of really struggling um, in similar ways uh, with anxiety. And so I I felt called to kind of help myself first and then Mm -hmm. also help other people. Um, Just kind of felt like a, a calling for me at that point. And Ultimately, decided to go to graduate school, get a PsyD, um, become a psychologist, um, really focus on mindfulness in my program, Mm -hmm. and haven't really looked back since. It's just been a a continual learning, progressing, you know, spreading the good word about mindfulness and, and helping people as much as I can. Do you think that as you've gotten into your career a bit, that you are still doing the things that you thought you'd be doing? Do you feel like mm. you're, you're on a different path or the same path? Or how does that, how does that play mm. out for you? Yeah, that's a good question. 
I think I, I always knew at, at some point in um, graduate school that I wanted to start my own practice. Um, I didn't realize that I would do it so soon after graduating. Um, I think I, I, after I had um, gotten my license and finished my postdoc and all of that, I, I felt I needed to kind of go on my own path. I needed to kind of create my own um, practice, my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a very strong pull to do that. Um, I, I think I knew I would always do that at some point, but um, yeah, I just felt like I needed to take that leap of faith and uh, I did and <laughs> it's worked out thus far. So oh, that's um, good. So how has, yeah. how has this COVID experience changed your practice? Are you all online? Do you see people in person still? How does that work? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't have a, a physical office anymore. I'm all, all online, just seeing clients uh, in California and doing mindfulness group online. Um, yeah, it's all, all Zoom these days. It's fascinating how it's changed everything. Yeah, yeah. really has. Well, do you think you're going to go back? I mean, I don't know if that's even a question. Are you going to go back into <laughs> an office? I mean... So many counselors yeah. I've heard are just saying, no, I'm going to stay doing this because I really like it. I think it, uh, I can ultimately see it'll be a hybrid in the future. I mean, I love doing in-person therapy. There's mm. something about it that you can't really replace through video therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to when it's safe to do so. Um, but I can imagine just always having some part of my practice being online these days. There's a lot of benefits that I think everyone is realizing now of, convenience and being able to kind of see people all over the state which is amazing too so yeah um, yeah i think you're you know you give up some things but you get other things so it really is a you know a toss-up of but i'm glad i'm I'm glad that there's going to be some some therapists that are going to go back to their office eventually Mm -hmm. over time we'll see how that how that plays out um, mm-hmm. But we are going to talk about mindfulness and grounding today. So yeah. I would love for you to start out by defining mindfulness for us. You know, there's so much out there right now, obviously, about yeah. mindfulness. And mindfulness is this is this buzzword that we hear a lot. And I would love for you to talk about what you think mindfulness is, but also what you think it isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what maybe yeah. people are saying that you're like, no, that's not what it is. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, to define mindfulness, I've kind of come up with my own little definition, which is an acronym um, called SOAP, which uh, people find helpful. And I'll talk about each of these and then kind of talk about the opposites of them to kind of help you get some contrast there. Um, so the S in SOAP stands for spaciousness. Uh, I could also say for separation, but having spaciousness <clears throat> from our thinking. Um, so the opposite of that is sort of a lot of the time we get really caught up in our mind. We get really caught up in our thoughts. Um, we really believe our thoughts. We think everything our mind says is true. Um, it could be self-critical thoughts. It could be thoughts about what we have to do in the future, the way things have to be, things like that. And sometimes we just can't really see outside of them. Um, The S stands for spaciousness, so being able to have a little space from us and our thoughts so we can kind of step back and look at them. So that's one aspect of mindfulness. The O in SOAP stands for being the observer. Um, This is the opposite of that is kind of when we create like an identity out of our 
anxiety or our emotions or our thoughts. We think we are the anxiety and we have to um, obey it and do everything that our anxious mind says otherwise. Um, so the observer is kind of a stance of taking it, taking a step back and just watching and noticing ourselves and just noticing what's arising within ourselves. Uh, the A of SOAP stands for acceptance. And the opposite of acceptance is um, struggle, I would say, or avoidance, either one of those. A lot of the time we have feelings that show up, um, negative feelings, and we don't like them. And so maybe we'll get into like big struggles, internal struggles with ourselves, or we'll avoid, uh, you know, distract ourselves mm -hmm. from our feelings. Very common thing people do these days. Um, acceptance is actually kind of about, um, it's almost like accepting a gift, accepting the gift of whatever shows up within you. It's really kind of facing it and being with exactly what's happening within you. Mm -hmm. And then the last part, P, stands for the present moment. Um, you know, the opposite of that is a lot of the time our mind tends to go into the future. We have plans, we have things we want to happen, we have our to-do lists, all those things. Or we go to the past and we start ruminating mm -hmm. about what happened during the day, five years ago, et cetera, et cetera. Uh -huh. um, the present moment is is just coming back to the here and now and, and noticing what is here within me in this moment. Um, and so those four things... Um, having some spaciousness, being the observer, acceptance in the present moment is kind of the way I define mindfulness. That's really helpful. I think those are four real key characteristics, right, of what mindfulness is. I would love for you to talk a little bit about maybe some misconceptions mm. out there about what yeah. mindfulness is, you know, but what are some misconceptions that people have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about mindfulness. Um, some people think it's sort of like, well, some people may associate it with weakness or passivity, mm. um, where you're just sitting there and doing doing nothing. <laughs> you know, like, what is this? These people are sitting there and not doing anything. Um, I think it's it's actually the opposite, is that the intention of mindfulness is to sit and actually be with ourselves in full contact with ourselves and facing our pain and our difficulties and whatever else is showing up within us. It's really a lot. It's very courageous. And it's actually a very active process mm. of turning toward and turning within yourself to really look at what's present. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not an easy thing for many people to do. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the misconceptions is mm -hmm. that it's just a waste of time. Some people think. <laughs> yeah. Or it feels really woo woo kind of like. Sure. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of woo-woo-ness to it. Um, <laughs> That's or, true. Or feelings of woo-woo-ness to it. I would say um, I understand that. And in my uh, experience, mindfulness is, is, is actually more about just getting in touch with reality, mm. um, getting in touch with what is actually going on rather than what our mind perceives to be going on or what you know the culture says is going on mindfulness is like clear seeing of what's actually happening um so it's almost the opposite of like a woo-woo it's more of a mm. be in reality kind of mode in my opinion i like that explanation because i think that's very true that it's very active and very intentional mm -hmm. very it's intentional very yeah. intentional and almost without you cannot do mindfulness without intention like it has mm -hmm. to be intentional I often, and I, I said this in an, in another podcast too, but I often say 
when we're talking about mindfulness, that it's like intentionally paying attention. That this is <laughs> this is an intentional act of paying mm-hmm. attention to what's happening right now, you know. So yeah. I would also like for you to talk about maybe, and we didn't talk about this before, but this this came up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between, because sometimes people confuse these, meditation mm. and mindfulness. Sure. That's a great question. That's a, a common thing people get confused by. And there's certainly sort of like an overlap between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I can I like to think there's like a Venn diagram and there's sort of like an overlap. <laughs> there's mindfulness meditation and then there's a whole bunch of different types of meditation. Mindfulness is a type of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and meditation practices, um, you know, usually involve some intention of um, focus. It could be like on a, a mantra or it could be some sort of spiritual tradition where you're meditating on something. Um, and there's, there's, you know, thousands of different types of meditation out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mindfulness is more about what the intention of the meditation is or what the intention just in general is. Um, it's sort of like the four things that I, mm-hmm. I describe with the soap. So um, you don't have to be meditating to practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be eating a meal that you love and you could be in the present moment. You could be accepting what's happening in your, in your body. You could be observing yourself and um, you know, you could be kind of detached from your thoughts at the same time while you're eating a meal or doing the dishes or going for a walk. So you can be practicing mindfulness when you're not meditating. Um, so there's certainly some difference there. Yeah, that's a really good explanation. I think oftentimes people feel like they have to, you know, sit cross-legged on the floor or something like that to be yeah. in a mindful place, but that's not true. We can be mindful wherever we are and doing whatever we're doing. Yeah, just absolutely. bringing our brain back to where we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about why it is so important for our mental health to mm-hmm. work on cultivating a practice of mindfulness in our lives and and maybe what it does in our brains a little bit and all of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the research on mindfulness has sort of exploded in the past, you know, twenty thirty years. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on the research, but if you wanted to, you know, do a Google search, you'd find thousands of articles about the research of mindfulness practice these days. So it does definitely change our brain and um, what happens in our brain. And there's been many brain scans that prove this. Um, so, which is which is amazing that they they show these things now, um, but yeah, just in general, what what happens for our mental health um, is that yeah, we just become, I'd say, a little less attached to our thoughts and our mind and um, what our you know mental and emotional pain is. There's a little bit of space, like the spaciousness mm-hmm. I said there. Um, so, you know, for example, I could have a very critical thought that shows up to me for me. Um, let's say after a session with a client, there's a thought that says, Oh, you messed that up. You weren't a good therapist today. Um, I can, I can say, Oh, interesting. That's a interesting thought, uh, that's showing up in my brain right now. Thanks mind for that advice. But I don't know if that's true. Like it's not, (laughs) that's not particularly helpful. And I think I did a good job. So, you know, (laughs) thanks for the thought. But (laughs) whereas if I didn't have any mindfulness, I would be like, completely consumed by this thought, thinking I'm a terrible person, you know, maybe I couldn't sleep at night because I'm ruminating about all the mistakes I made. You know, there's a huge difference um, 
when we don't have any mindfulness, we just get pretty consumed by, you know, our mental activity, which can be a a huge problem. Mm, That's really true. Is there anything else that that mindfulness might help besides just that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things I think that that um, I can speak personally that has helped me in terms of just being kinder to myself mm-hmm. um, in general. I think self-compassion practices and mindfulness go really hand in hand. Um, it certainly helps me and a lot of my clients with their relationships um, because it helps them get some perspective on themselves and their partner and their relationships. It can certainly help us sleep at night. Um, like I've mentioned, just kind of feel more relaxed that that's been shown to help with chronic pain, mm-hmm. basically almost anything, uh, any kind of ailments. It's so weird, right? In research that shows that it helps with. Yeah. So, um, it's pretty amazing. It's, <laughs> it's almost nothing it doesn't help with. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's so strange that that does that just intentionally paying attention to what's happening in your and without judgment, right? So yes. this without judgment, without judging the thought of it being good or bad or up mm. or down, right? I mean, yep. to being good or bad, it just is. And mm. without that judgment, if you can do all that, it seriously changes the functionality of your brain, changes yep. the hardwiring of your brain. Like it's weird. And it changes the <laughs> The way that our bodies experience pain, it changes the way Mm -hmm. our our heart rate is and our blood pressure and all the things. I mean, it's so strange that just doing that on a, you know, regular basis can make such an impact on our mental health and our physical health. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to hear just like kind of let's move towards some real tangible things. Um, What have you found? That's a practical intervention mm-hmm. that you found that was helpful for you personally or for your clients. Yeah. Um, could you give us a couple? Sure. Yeah. Um, real simple one just to start is just like um, a, a breath sort of mindfulness. Um, I like to just invite people to, and if people are listening and they want to just practice this right now, um, to just like take one hand, put it on your belly and take one hand and put it on your chest. And, um, you know, a lot of times when we're anxious, we're going to breathe really, um, you know, from our chest only and not from our belly. And so this practice is just, you know, practicing breathing from our belly. It's called diaphragmatic breathing. And, um, you know, when you're breathing in, you expand your belly. And when you breathe out, you sort of um, let it go. And the practice is to, you know, you can just practice five of those every day, just breathing in. Expanding your belly and breathing out. And then, of course, you're paying attention, being present with your body at the whole, the whole time. Very simple. And you're just noticing the rise and fall of your belly each time. It does so, just settle you, right? Yeah, it's very subtle. And even just doing a few, you may notice a difference in your mood and notice a difference in your thinking and your mind may have slowed down slightly. Um, it's just a very simple breath practice and you can keep keep going for as long as you want with that. But that's something I do when I, and speaking of grounding, that I, I need grounding. I think our breath can be very 
very grounding and kind of bring us back into the present moment. Mm-hmm. It sort of gives us that spaciousness that I've talked about. The, the breath kind of has that spaciousness quality to it. So mm-hmm. talk, very... about, talk about grounding. How do you use grounding techniques or do you see it as grounding as being a technique to create mindfulness or how do you use grounding or yeah, mm-hmm. even define it? Yeah, sure. Grounding. I think that's really important to kind of feel like we're solid and we have some safety. Um, I tend to do grounding just like um, in the body. I think that's what we want to ground inside of. Um, That's our true home that we have. We carry it around wherever we go. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people feel very uncomfortable and they kind of are squirmish. They want to get out of their body uh, because there's uncomfortableness. But grounding is kind of just like being solid in your body. I think Um, I like to do when I lead groups, I like to just start with some mindful movement um, or just a a brief body scan. Those are just Mm. nice techniques to just to kind of get in touch. Okay, what is happening in my body? Like, can I notice my feet flat on the floor? What's happening uh, when I notice my feet on the floor or my socks or my shoes on the floor? Um, You know, and scanning your attention gently upward into your ankles, you know, to your legs, your waist, your body, all the way scanning up to your head. But just having that attention inward into your into your body and what's going on there, I think, could be very grounding. And um, I like to start there with most of um, my groups that I do, just kind of being in touch with the body. Yeah, body scan I think is so helpful. It's very helpful for folks who have a hard time um, sleeping. I think to yeah. to to do body scan during you know when they're trying to go to bed and just to relax and to let their body be where they are, right? And their brain to be in their body rather than out of it. And I also think it's very helpful sometimes for folks who have real high anxiety or maybe having anxiety attacks, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. panic attacks that they are, it's very helpful to have a body scan. Um, And sometimes just a guided body scan is really helpful. I, I have one on my website, um, mm. that I did. It's, it was fun to do actually. And I, so I have it on my website. It's actually a podcast uh, bonus episode. So you can also go there. I'll, maybe I'll put the link in the show notes for that too, because right. I just think that body scan is really helpful for, for mindfulness, but specifically for grounding ourselves yeah. where we are. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about or tell us about mindfulness that we might not have talked about already? Let's see. There's maybe just one more technique that might be useful. Um, that has been really useful for me. Um, you know, I, I tend to be a, a person I, I used to, especially when I was younger, I got really caught up in my thoughts. Like they would just kind of churn over and over mm-hmm. and over again. And I know that's a problem for Lots a lot of people. people. And one of the meditations I like to lead and something you can experiment with is just to imagine thoughts like clouds in the sky. I think that's a really good metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, that is sort of a classic mindfulness metaphor to use when we're th- when we're kind of really caught up in our in our thoughts and we're really kind of like some of them can get really sticky or they can get we can get really attached to them. So like when you watch a cloud in the sky, so you go outside, it's a nice day, and you see clouds kind of floating in the sky. We're just kind of naturally in that mindfulness state where we're just kind of observing them. We're present with what's what's happening. We're kind of accepting of these clouds as they kind of float along in the sky. And so if you can imagine your thoughts just like clouds, just like, okay, we have this thought, um, you know, I did something terrible today or whatever, something awful happened. And just like, whoop, okay, it turns into a cloud and kind of just imagine it kind of floating away. Mm. Um, 
as much as you can doing that practice. I have a, I have a guided one that I do um, for people for that. But I think that's just a really great metaphor just to kind of understand, okay, what is this whole mindfulness thing about? But um, to sit and imagine your thoughts like clouds floating in the sky. Oh, that's a great idea. Actually, I've never heard that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Do you have that uh, guided one? Is it is it somewhere recorded that people can? Yeah, I have. It, I have it recorded. Um, I can send that to you and put a link to it as well. Yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. great. So mm-hmm. I'll put a. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. So great. Um, people can find that. That'd be wonderful. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for just our little chat on mindfulness today. Yeah. I know that people are going to want to hear more from you and more about you. So can you tell us how we can get in touch with you, where to find you? Yeah, the best the best way to find me is my website, um, drellisedmonds.com. Um, I'm on other social media, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those ones as well. I put posts on there every once in a while. And um, I also have a free newsletter that you can sign up for that I I have if you want to keep in touch with me. Great. Okay. So we'll have all those links in the show notes. And yeah, I'm sure that people are going to want to check it all out. So I have three more questions. Three questions I ask everybody on my podcast. The first question is yeah. I would love to hear an event that changed you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, on the theme of mindfulness, I think the event that changed me was the first meditation class. I ever went to when I was, um, uh, I think it was probably 18 or 19, my first year of college. And um, I was just, like I mentioned, I was a very anxious teenager and um, just really caught up in a lot of my fears and things like that. And I remember the teacher uh, in the meditation class, I knew nothing about meditation at this point, uh, or mindfulness for that matter. Um, but he said, this is just a breathing meditation we're doing. He said, just, just, just watch the breath. Um, and if thoughts come up, um, see if you can let them go and bring your attention back into your breathing. And so <laughs> we're sitting there in this classroom with like, you know, a hundred of our students or so um, silent, my eyes closed. And um, okay, I was like, okay, I'm going to watch my breath. And I noticed like my breathing kind of arising. And then my mind just went off into a million thoughts about what I had to do, what this person said to me earlier, you know, all these anxious stuff. Um and then the teacher said, you know, you know, if your mind goes off, you get caught off in thought, bring it back to your breath. And I said, okay. So I brought it back to my breath and I could stay on my breath for maybe like a second. And then my <laughs> mind got off and I guess completely caught, you know. Um, and so it was challenging. It was really hard for me at first when I started practicing mindfulness. And it, that's true for many people. Um, but I noticed after that class, I knew there was something that was special there. there I knew because it was the first time in my life that I ever got a little bit of, of separation or spaciousness from my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, wow, I need to keep practicing this. There's something that is really important here. And um, well, I did. <laughs> I, didn't. Wow. I kept going to the class. And so that was kind of a really important event for me. First class. That's a great event. It's a lot, really life changing, actually. Yeah, certainly changed my life. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, the second question is a person who changed you. Mm, person who changed me, yeah. Um, let's see. I'd say John Kabat-Zinn has been one of my um, inspirations as I've kind of become a therapist and mindfulness teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sort of credited with bringing a lot of mindfulness into mm-hmm. the Western world. Yeah. And, um, he's just very inspirational. His books and his videos and just kind of watching him work with people and speak. Um, I just feel so inspired. and. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I used his protocol for my dissertation and oh, wow. used it a lot. So he's definitely been an important person for me. That's great. I, I think I'm going to have to look up some more about him. I've heard oh, of him, yeah. but not yeah. Uh, yeah, looked into. So that's great. Uh, mm. The third question is a book that changed you. Mm. Yeah, a book. Um, I would say uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Sort of oh, a classic yes. sort of meditation, mindfulness, spirituality book that people um, tend to get into. It's probably one of, one of the first books I read on the subject and it kind of, you know, propelled me more toward this course of understanding mindfulness and understanding myself. And of course, the whole message of just being in the present moment, it was just a, an amazing practice for me mm -hmm. to, to do that um, and continue to do that. So it was a very inspirational book. Well, I will put the link to that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much, Ellis, for being with us today and for sharing your insight and wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for being present here with us. And yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, EssentiallyBetterLife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends. <laughs>